uh, relationally, in terms of distance. We want to be close to them. Um, you may, you know, if you hear about a relationship that's struggling, someone may say, I just feel like we've, we've drifted apart. I don't feel like we're as close as we used to be. Uh, if, if people are, are apart in long distances, it's, it's difficult to maintain that relationship if you are away from each other in terms of proximity for an extended period of time. Uh, a love, especially a love that we would talk about in terms of love with our heart, is expressed um, and, and seen in closeness and the ability and desire to be near. So how do I accomplish that with God? <laughs> what does that look like? We kind of got into that a little bit last week. How do I draw near to God? Moreover, how can I be commanded to love someone or something with my heart? This is a love we often associate with feeling. Uh, I can't be commanded to feel a certain way. Uh, try to tell someone that, you know, I command you to love me with all your heart. That's not going to go very far. <laughs> uh, so how can we be commanded to love God and especially be commanded to love him with all of our heart? And so to answer those in short, uh, I think the idea that we are commanded to love with all of our heart, a God who is unseen, underscores the fact that this love is more than a feeling or emotion. It's about a decision. It's about a decision in the way that I'm going to live my life and the things I'm going to value. It has to be about action. Uh, Otherwise, uh, it's never going to grow into a love of God. Also, I think it reinforces the amazing work of Christ in our lives and the amazing gift that we have in Christ who reorients our heart towards God and brings us back into relationship with him. And so that's the answer, uh, partly, I think, in short. And so to expound on that a little bit, we're going to bring our two disconnected threads and themes together now um, in what I'm going to say is the unveiled heart. So that's going to be where these two, the veil and the heart, come together in the unveiled heart. And so to think about this, we're going to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This will be our main text for this morning, 2 Corinthians 3. I'm going to actually read this whole chapter in pieces, so it's not on the screen, but if you want to follow along with me, 2 Corinthians is right after 1 Corinthians if you're going through your Bible, so (laughs) that should be very helpful. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, So at the beginning of this chapter, Paul is basically giving a defense of of his ministry and some of the things that he's been doing. So if you pick up in 2 Corinthians 3, he says this. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts. So listen to the way that he's already talking about the heart. Uh, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And so now he begins to introduce this concept of Moses and the law into the way that he's discussing, first of all, his ministry, uh, but then the way that he's going to talk about that in the relation to, to us as people and our hearts. So, continuing then in verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. 
He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is basically the thesis about, of, of the rest of what he's going to go into in this chapter. Um, and then he's going to expand on the differences now between the letter or, or the law of Moses and the Spirit. So in verse 7, he says, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. All right, let's pause there for a second. Uh, so when we read that original text about Moses and the veil, I said it, it's, it's not really clear why the veil, why, why he put the veil over his face, or if this is something he did on his own, if God told him to do it, whatever. Uh, but Paul connects this to the idea that the Israelites were, were, for whatever reason, unable or unwilling to, to see Moses as he was radiantly proclaiming, revealing the glory of God. And he calls this a transitory glory, something that was temporary. Uh, and we, we hear this in other language of the law, that it's a sign of something that is, it is to come. And so Paul says that was so glorious that the Israelites couldn't look on Moses' face when he was radiating that glory. And this glory that we have now is so far surpassing that, it's as if that wasn't glorious at all. And so imagine the glory that we must have now. Uh, think of a, a flashlight. If you were to turn a flashlight on in a completely dark space, that light would be, would be bright and you'd be able to see it and it would penetrate that darkness uh, immediately. But if you go outside, if you ever tried to turn on a flashlight like in a bright sunny day, you can turn on that same flashlight that is just bright and illuminates everything in the darkness and you can't even see it in the sunlight, Right? What was once glorious is now nothing compared to the light and glory of the sun. And, and Paul gives us a similar picture of the law compared to Christ. Like, yeah, that flashlight was great back then. It was so glorious, you know, you couldn't shine it in your eye. It was too bright. But you go out in the sun, S-U-N or S-O-N, either sun, <laughs> once you come into the sun, that light is nothing. And Paul says that's what we have in Christ. He continues then in verse 11. Now, if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day... The same veil remains when the old covenant is read. In other words, if you're still clinging to that glory, you've still got a veil that is hindering your view of God. If you are clinging to anything else for your connection to God other than Christ, there is a veil concealing the true nature of God from you. Uh, for them, that was the law. For us, it may be other things. Maybe it is legalism. Maybe it is following laws. Maybe it's our own abilities and ambitions, whatever it may be. If there is anything else 
aside from Christ, that you are clinging to to see God clearly, your vision is always going to be blurry as if you're looking through a veil. Um, I've tried this week to have a short, concrete answer to how do we love God with all our heart. (laughs) The best answer I have come up with is that we turn our hearts over completely to Christ. And I think to some extent, for those of us who want concrete steps, um, it's okay, well, then how do I do that? (laughs) Um, And I think that's more personal and intimate conversation. But I think the root of it gets to, I've got to be willing to let go of anything else I am clinging to for my hope, for my salvation, for my security, and be willing to turn instead to Christ. Uh, Paul kind of continues with that thought. Uh, he says, whenever, Moses, whenever the old uh, covenant is read, the veil remains. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. And so, with Moses, there was a need to veil the glory of God from the rest of the Israelites because it seems like It was just too much for them to handle, or they couldn't comprehend it, or they were scared, or whatever it was. And so the veil over Moses' face, and then the curtain in the temple, uh, both kept uh, concealed to a certain extent God and his true nature from people. Uh, With Moses' face, keeping it uh, concealed from the other Israelites, the curtain in the temple uh, keeps the presence and and the dwelling of God concealed from all Israelites other than the priests. And those things are pictures of a veil that remains for anyone who is clinging to anything other than Jesus in their quest, in their journey towards God. The answer comes then in turning our hearts over to Christ, in drawing near to God in Christ. And so I think loving God with all of our heart means attempting to come near to him, drawing close to him, and turning toward him. Uh, Which brings us back to the question I asked earlier then, how do I go about coming near to God? How do I draw close to God? Uh, Because I think that I on my own uh, cannot be the initiator of that. Uh, I, on my own, we on our own as people, uh, do not have the ability to come close to God unless he first initiates that action and that invitation. And through Jesus, that is exactly what he has done, that he has reconciled the world to himself through Christ. He has invited us into restored and renewed and complete relationship with him through Christ. And that Jesus then bridges even that distance, uh, the physical distance between us and God. Uh, So that it is no longer simply within uh, a temple that the presence of God is held, but, but God dwells and makes his temple his dwelling within us. 
that we don't have to go up on a mountain uh, to receive the law of God, that we don't have to have the law of God on tablets of stone, that we have the law, the word, uh, on, the word of God within our hearts, written on the tablets of our hearts. This is the same argument that the Hebrew writer makes about the, the, the idea that we have this gift of God in our hearts. It's, it's what Paul says. He's trying to get the, the people in Corinth to realize, don't you realize this amazing gift that you have in Christ? Why would you tr- be trying to cling to anything else? Uh, and again, the, the Hebrews writer says it the same way. In Hebrews 7, the Hebrews writer said, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, but a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And then continuing in Hebrews 10, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it could never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. There's that phrase again, drawing near. Uh, a lot of the law was an attempt to draw near to God, to bring people back to God. Uh, but people kept sinning and breaking the covenant. And so nothing done under the law can completely and fully bring me close to God. Uh, it is only in Christ that that happens. So the writer continues, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And so I think if we're to take the words of Paul and the words of the Hebrew writer... I think loving God with all our hearts has a lot to do with a recognition of this amazing gift that we have been given in Christ. Uh, And it it has to do with turning our hearts away from anything else towards Him. Uh, But that is not to take away from the fact that turning away from other things toward Christ takes work and takes effort and takes energy on my own part. Uh, Elsewhere in talking about the heart, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, And I think one of the things that we do, I kind of talked about this last week with the first and second commands, that we kind of flip them sometimes. I think we do that with this saying of Jesus too, this quote unquote saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think we flip those. Uh, And what I mean by that is that I think a lot of times as we're thinking about that or trying to explain that, we say things like... um, if you want to see what you care about, look at where you're putting your treasure. As I've heard people say it, if you want to know where your priorities are, look at your bank account, uh, which is probably true. <laughs> if you want to know where your priorities are with the things you spend your money on, look at what you spend your money on. Uh, but interestingly, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And here's what I think Jesus is getting at. Uh, how do I go about developing a heart for generosity? How do I go about developing a heart for service? Do I pray to God that God would zap me with a heart for those things? Or do I start serving other people? Do I start putting my treasure, 
my time, my energy, my resources behind being generous to others. And in turn, as I put my treasure towards those things, my heart will grow for those things because where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. How do I develop a deeper sense of of care and connectivity with my family? Uh, Is it through praying that, that, that God would just instill those feelings within me so that I would have the desire to spend more of my energy and resources there? Or is it by making intentional efforts to pour into those relationships and those people with my treasure, with my time, with my energy, and see my love for them grow in response to that? Uh, How is it that I go about developing a love for God? I think Scripture would tell us we do it by following His will, obeying His commands, and seeing our hearts turn toward Him as a result. Because where our treasure is, Wherever we are investing ourselves, our heart will be there also. Uh, I think about this sort of in terms of, as I think about schools in Temple, uh, my heart is with Thornton Elementary. Um, now, outside of, of any pre-existing thoughts about the schools in Temple, I don't care about any of the schools, any one or, or uh, over the other. No offense, April, but uh, <laughs> I, had no, I had no pre-existing thoughts on them. I care about Temple Elementary more because that's where my daughter goes. If and when my daughter goes to another school, I'll care about that school because that's where my treasure is. And so my heart follows where I'm investing my treasure. And so as I go about the task of turning my heart towards God, Scripture repeatedly tells us we do those things by meditating on His Word, by following the things that God has called us to do. Uh, by reaching out in actionable ways to those who are my enemies, to those who are different. Uh, We we do that by following the will of God and seeing our hearts turn toward Him as a result. As my heart then is turned toward God, His glory radiates through my faith and life, and I come to know the freedom that lies in Christ. Uh, Paul says this is a life that gives freedom, and in, in, in doing so, our faces will just radiate and glow so that others will see the life and beauty of Christ within us. The work of the Holy Spirit within us is the work of liberation and peace. And as we turn to Christ, we come to more fully realize who and what we were created to be, and we are transformed into, into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, Paul says. Meaning that this is a continual progressive transformation. That as Paul says elsewhere, it's not that we have attained this. We're not ever going to fully reflect the glory of God. It's a lifelong pursuit that we are continually on. That we are continually being transformed, as some translations say, from glory to glory. Uh, That this is a continual process. That this transformation is never fully complete. But it's a transformation that we go about with complete trust and confidence and freedom because we know that Christ will not let go of us, which means that we can move towards this idea of loving God with all of our heart, with complete trust that not only is He loving us, but that we have hope in Him, that our salvation is found in Him through His life, through His death, through His resurrection, and through His continual living within us and through His Spirit. Uh, And so I'm going to invite the the band to come back up now, and we're going to sing as our hearts turn towards the table this morning, as we remember this sacrifice, this ultimate expression of love that Christ has made for us.
Uh, and as we sing these words and as we consider Christ's sacrifice and as our hearts and our minds turn toward the table and sharing a communion meal together as we remember Christ and his love for us, uh, may our hearts turn toward him as well. And may we consider what needs to happen in our lives for our hearts to turn towards God. Uh, maybe for some of us that's experiencing the, the cleansing waters uh, of baptism that the Hebrews writer talked about. Maybe for some of us, it's letting go of something else that we have been clinging to and turning to Christ instead. Uh, maybe some of it, it's just about taking steps to saying, this is where I want my heart to be, and I'm going to take steps toward that. And I think we find example of all that in the sacrifice and the love of Jesus. So would you stand as we sing about that together, and then we'll share in communion together this morning. Oh, now to see.
to remain standing as we pray our prayer of confession together, and I'll pray the parts in white, and together we'll pray the parts in yellow. Our Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated.